0: I got to tell you, this is just crazy, huh? This is just nuts, okay? Jeez, oh man.
1: You got that right, Governor Kasich.
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right.
1: No, it ain't. I'm so
0: scared in case I fall off my chair. I'm not scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Maybe Used, Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yeah. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle
1: From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, is this do. is the Bradcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster. Out in Hawaii on 88.5FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and many other fine affiliates, including Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for what I hope... I don't know why it would be, but what I hope will be another action-packed, thrilling adventure. Uh, Desi Doyan, uh, g- good good day, good evening to you. <laughs>
2: good, I, hello, hello.
1: Uh, our producer Desi Doyen, of course. I I, I spent uh, I spent the week, uh, you know, taking a few hours off, getting off the grid. Valentine's Day, President's Day, so I didn't really check any of the news over the weekend. Uh, anything happen I should know about?
2: Oh a little few things here and there. Really? Nothing, Nothing really earth-shattering. Nothing big. Okay,
1: uh, that's good. Well, actually, there might have been something, and yeah. uh, we will be talking about <laughs> Just a skosh. Uh, all, all of it, uh, with with my uh, guests coming up uh, very momentarily. As you may have heard by now, there was indeed a political and perhaps constitutional earthquake over the weekend upon the sudden death of U.S. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The flamboyantly outspoken right wing justice has been key over the past three decades in leading the so-called conservative wing of the uh, Supreme Court to many narrow five to four decisions in landmark cases since his 1986 appointment to the high court by Ronald Reagan and I should note his unanimous 97 to zero. Approval by the Democratic majority in the U.S. Senate at the time. Now, the news of his death reported by reportedly by natural causes at an exclusive hunting ranch in uh, uh, deep south Texas on Saturday came just hours before the now six leading Republican candidates for the 2016 GOP nomination met in South Carolina for one last debate before Republican voters head to the polls this weekend to vote in the state's GOP primary. And good God, did the gloves come off. Uh, Really, this time, it was insane. And yes, Donald Trump is still said to be leading that pack by double digits in South Carolina. But much more on that in a moment. Uh, In the hours following the news of Scalia's death on Saturday morning and prior to that evening's debate in the Palmetto State... Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announced there would be no vote on a new nominee for the Supreme Court until the next president was elected to office for some reason. Uh, That move, if Republicans actually carry it out, would be somewhat counter to the uh, to the uh, Constitution. Article 2, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution, which declares that the president shall, shall nominate and appoint Supreme Court justices while seeking the advice and consent of the U.S. Senate. Uh, Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton, uh, among others, issued a statement charging that a Senate failure to allow a vote on the president's nominee, whoever it might be, and that we don't know yet, would, quote, dishonor the Constitution. And a bit later that day, Uh, President Obama announced his intention to nominate someone to that lifetime post, all of which, including the political bombshell that the high court would for now become evenly divided four to four between Democratic and Republican appointees. And if Obama or a Democratic predecessor is allowed to make an appointment, uh, that balance would actually tip back to give liberals a five to four majority on the court for the first time. Since Justice Clarence Thomas's controversial appointment to the court by George Bush Sr. in 1988, which may well have helped push uh, an already contentious race for the GOP presidential nomination off the rails on Saturday night, all of this, all of this drama. May have been. Well, we'll find out from my guests how much they think is Scalia's death was responsible for what later happened on Saturday night, Uh, because did I mention that the debate, uh, the rhetoric, the name calling, the usual lack of facts in South Carolina was unbelievably insane. And that at times it felt more like a WrestleMania match than a presidential debate. Well, here to talk about all of this and wish them luck is another fine panel of very smart journalists here on the broadcast. As almost ever, we are joined by our friend Heather Digby Parton, notoriously known as simply Digby among progressive circles, where her Digby's hullabaloo blog remains a staple. Heather is also a contributing writer at Salon and the 2014 Hillman Foundation Prize winner for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Oh, Heather, welcome back to the broadcast.
2: <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh,
1: I guess you had a busy weekend as well. Also joining us, Joshua Holland, formerly of Alternet, currently a writing fellow with the Investigative Fund at the Nation Institute and host of his own uh, weekly podcast. Politics and Reality Radio Show, which is available on iTunes. Joshua Holland, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend.
3: Thanks for having me, Brad.
1: All right. Well, we had both of you guys booked uh, to join us to talk about the Saturday debate before the stunning news of uh, Scalia's death broke on Saturday. But as you both, I know, have not only lived through Scalia's extraordinary 30 year reign, 30 year reign on the court. But you both have covered various elements of it over the years. I, I, I suspect you might have uh, much to say about this news, uh, as much here as uh, on this as you do about the Insane Saturday debate. So let's start with Scalia, and we'll trans, uh, transition into the debate itself. Uh, Heather, first, let me just get your general thoughts on the passing of uh, Justice Antonin Scalia.
2: <laughs> well, I, can I just say up front that I am you know i am of the opinion that he was probably murdered by vince foster zombie <laughs> vince foster uh-huh. i can't prove it but I feel pretty strongly that's what happened. Well, you know, and but just,
1: you joke. Don't joke about that because there already uh, a Drudge report last night, all capital letters. Scalia was 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 not. Uh, it wasn't a heart attack. He had a pillow found with a pillow well, over his head. So maybe uh, the beginning of the Scootherism moment. I don't know. I'm afraid.
2: That. I'm afraid so. I mean, I just, I, I probably should. I just want to throw that out there at the <laughs> beginning, just okay. to kind of illustrate what an incredible how incredibly crazy it is that this Mm -hmm. is happening in the middle of this already highly contentious presidential race where the stakes were as high as they've ever been anyway Mm -hmm. because we have you know, a a white nationalist, you know neo-fascistic kind of guy in Trump or a far-right extremist in Cruz on the one side, and we have normal people (laughs) on the Democratic side Um, And this was already going to be a wild election, you know, based solely on that. And now to throw in the balance on the Supreme Court is just, it takes it to an absolute new level. And, you know, when you're talking about what happened with the... Instantaneous response from the from the Senate and from the presidential candidates. Mm-hmm. I mean, this happened within minutes. So this yeah. wasn't something they got together with and strategized. I mean, it was in, just instinctive. I mm-hmm. think just, they raced right out and said, "No, don't worry, nothing's going to happen." Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not that I think any of us sophisticated sort of observers or, or even non sophisticated <laughs> observers of the scene would have expected the Senate to warmly embrace uh, a a nomination from President Obama in the final year of his, his administration. Clearly, it was highly unlikely, in my view, that they would confirm anyone. What is so stunning about this is their complete discarding of any sense of institutional norms and the idea that they have any obligation to even pretend like they are going to follow the normal processes of our government and the way we've always done it. They don't, they're not even, you know, it's not like they're, you know, they're not even being hypocrites, really, where at least, you know, hypocrisy is the tribute vice pays to virtue, right? I mean, they're not even trying to do Mm -hmm. that. They're just basically saying, we don't care. We're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Yes, President Obama has 11 months left in in his term. And yes, uh, It was only three years ago that the entire country voted, and they gave voice to, you know, who they expected to nominate Supreme Court justices should a, uh, you know, a vacancy come up, and that was President Barack Obama. It was not, you know, nobody said unless it happens in the last year, in which case, never mind. And he
1: would would also have a year, I mean, if they do wait until whoever the next president is... It's uh, Obama has a year left in his term, but then it also takes a number of months. So we're talking about a a Supreme Court uh, with a vacancy for perhaps as much as a year and a half. Uh, And we'll get into some of those politics in a second with the debate, because they all the uh, candidates also Shared the view of, uh, of Mitch McConnell that there should be that we should do nothing for a, at least a year on the uh, to fill that vacancy. But uh, Josh Holland, let me get your thoughts on uh, on, on the, this fine mess and, and and actually on on the death of uh, Antonin Scalia and what what this now means for this nation.
3: Well, I'm trying to wrap my head around why Obama didn't murder um, Chief Justice John Roberts. Because, you know, (laughs) if you're going to do it, like, why take out a curmudgeonly associate justice? It it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. (laughs) But I I think that the uh, response from Mitch McConnell and uh, Chuck Grassley, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee and others, is really reflective of, you know, this intense anger among the Republican base, this intense distrust of the Republican establishment, quote unquote establishment, because you know, I really want to stress that what they should have done and could easily have done is say we will, you know, go through the normal process. We'll hold mm-hmm. hearings, and then they could find an excuse to reject mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. O- Obama nominee for whatever pretense they wanted. And by coming out and pre-rejecting uh, on a blanket basis any nominee from the president, all they're doing is really highlighting their own knee-jerk obstructionism. It's an unforced error, and I, I think the only way that you can understand it is um, is it's an, as an attempt to, you know, keep keep the base in line and, and somewhat uh, satisfied with the Republican leadership what it means I mean it 's an earthquake. I would point out that nine of the thirteen circuit courts are um, have a majority of democratic mm-hmm. appointees. so in the case of a four four split on the Supreme Court, the lower court's rulings stand, mm-hmm. so you 're going to see a lot of rulings coming up that are actually favorable to Democrats that Republicans would like to have had a five four majority to strike down. That are now going to stand for the duration of uh, of this vacancy, and it could stretch on for a long time. I, I have to also say that I'm not uh, entirely confident that a uh, Republican-led uh, Senate would be um, would be quick to uh, approve a, a, a Democratic nominee if they won the election. Mm-hmm. You know, of, of course, they couldn't leave that that seat vacant for four years, but they could drag it on for quite a while. Well, they imagining. could drag
1: it on as long as they want. I mean, as long as the Republicans are in charge of the Senate and Joshua Holland, I think you, you make a very good point. It was not only uh, stunning to hear them say that, that you know we will not approve anybody, but it was just bad, I should say dumb politics because they, they could have gone ahead and they still can, you know, can go ahead with hearings and everything else. And it doesn't take... Uh, really, but one senator, you know, to to filibuster to keep a vote from even moving forward, they didn't need to to go completely all in on. They didn't on need not, to
4: telegraph what they yeah, were going to do.
3: It's
1: just bad, I, stupid it's a politics.
3: Motivational strategy for the the upcoming election, and right? that's what so yeah, they, I'm, they I, want to make it so that you know their base gets fired up and uh, comes out to vote to make sure that there's not some. Evil liberal socialist justice, but but there would be plenty
1: of time for that, and so it does seem kind of dumb that they would not at least try to pretend, uh, you know, they had their 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 act together, but they don't. And I also wonder how much had to do with McConnell sending that message out to the candidates in the minutes before the South Carolina debate that night. So let me let me play a couple of uh, clips. From some of the candidates about this, and then I'll get your thoughts. Uh, every single one of them uh, of the Republicans on the stage said that they did not want to see a, a nomination move forward. Trump said uh, it's up to Mitch McConnell to stop it. It's called delay, delay, delay. John Kasich said, "I I wish the even the sensible one." John Kasich said, "I wish the president would think about not nominating somebody." Uh, here, here was uh, Ben Carson's uh, rather remarkable response when he was asked, uh, hey, if you were president, wouldn't you be abdicating your constitutional duties by not nominating someone? Uh, after
4: the death was announced and you said the president should delay. You've written a book on the Constitution recently. What does the Constitution say about whose duty it is here to act in this kind of a situation?
3: Well, the Constitution actually doesn't address that particular situation.
1: Wait, what? Also, uh, yes, it does. Article 2, Section 2, even before the Second Amendment. So uh, this is, uh, here's, here's Jeb. Uh, is this Jeb? I think uh, Jeb or Cruz uh, asked asked about this. Uh, the
4: simple fact case. is, the next president needs to appoint someone with a proven conservative record, similar to Justice Scalia, that is a lover of liberty, that believes in limited government, that consistently applied uh, that kind of philosophy, that didn't try to legislate from the bench, that was respectful of the Constitution.
1: Notice that's uh, Jeb Bush saying the next. President, uh, not this one, should nominate, and and finally, and this may have given us an idea what was to come for the rest of the night. Here's what happened uh, when uh, Ted Cruz responded to uh, uh, CBS uh, John Dickerson, uh, the moderator, John Dickerson, uh, about well, claiming that this uh, it, it is unprecedented that uh, a president has conf- had his nominee confirmed in an election year.
4: So, Senator Cruz, the Constitution says the president shall. Point with advice and consent from the Senate, just to clear that up. So he has the constitutional power, but you don't think he should. Where do you set that date if you're president? And once you set the date, when you're a president, will you abide by that date?
5: Well, we have 80 years of precedent of not confirming Supreme Court justices in an election year. And, and let me say, Justice just, Fillion, can
4: I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Were any nomina- appointed in an election year? Or is that just there were 80 years? 80
5: years of, of not confirming. For example, LBJ nominated Abe Fortas. Fortas did, did not get confirmed. He was defeated. But Kennedy was confirmed in 88. No, Kennedy was confirmed in 87. He was, he was, appoint- he was appointed in 87. <laughs> he was appointed in, 80- in 88.
4: That's the question. Is it appointing or confirming? What's the difference?
5: In this case, it's both. But if I could, could answer the an question. Sorry, I
4: just want to get the facts straight
5: for the audience. I apologize. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the table was set. It only they got don't wasted. Like facts. No, they do not care for it facts. They like they booed facts. Uh, Heather, <laughs> uh, I'm teeing it up uh, for you. Well, what my you
2: favorite, and this is just an aside, but yeah. you know, my favorite part is that the moderator. Uh-huh. apologize yes. <laughs> for presenting the facts. You know, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend anyone by actually trying to moderate this debate. Excuse me, I'll come, go back to asking, you know, lame, uh, unprobing questions here, <laughs> pardon me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the the on the substance of it, it's it's an amazing moment, because both he, and I don't know where this 80-year talking point came from, but it was obviously something... That came out, uh, you know, immediately because mm-hmm. they, they, he wasn't the only one who said it. Right. Um, so this was something. Said, Look, it hasn't been done in eighty years. I mean, that's. I mean, it's inane anyway. How often <laughs> does it happen that a Supreme Court justice drops dead in the final year mm-hmm. of a of a presidential administration? I mean, I don't think that that's something that you count on happening all the time, right. or that any amount of data going back any any time any precedent is necessarily set by that except to the extent that you know it's certainly been done before and for whatever reason uh... there wasn't really an issue with it i mean we know what's happening here don't we i mean this is not it's not like this is the part that sort of drives me crazy about it. of course there's a there's a principle here and of course obama should be able to to nominate someone and it would be great if we had a normal functioning government that would do the hearings and they would determine whether or not he was qualified and they might even go through whatever litmus test they have. I mean, all this stuff could be done. We know that is impossible. These You can't pass anything with this Congress. Nothing yeah. happens. Well, and, and so I, a Supreme Court justice that actually changes the balance of the court in any way, I mean, this is one of the hard right guys. This isn't even, you know, a Kennedy swing vote guy. He is way over there, and you know, the Scalia seat, and it is a big, big change. And I am not in any way surprised that they are, that they don't want to do it. Again, I'll just reiterate what I said before. I'm just stunned that they have. They don't care at all about maintaining even the appearance of integrity about it.
1: And, and to be clear, in uh, 1988, Ronald Reagan's uh, nomination of uh, uh, Anthony Kennedy was unanimously approved, and it was approved by a Democratic majority. Uh, uh, Senate at the time. So, uh, Josh, let me ask you this.
2: In an election year.
1: Oh, right. In an election he was, year He was nominated yeah. in
2: 87, but he was confirmed by that Senate in an election year.
1: Josh...
3: And I believe that was one yeah. of three instances where a, a Supreme Court justice was confirmed in the, since 1900 in, in an election year. Do
1: you have any doubt, Joshua uh, Holland, that if the situation were reversed and if it was Bush-Cheney's last year in office... Uh, And, you know, the appointment would change the balance of the court. Is there even is it even conceivable that they would say, yeah, you know what? It's an election year. We'll let the next president decide. I mean, is that even conceivable in any way?
3: Well, Democrats haven't completely abandoned the norms of these institutions in the way the Republicans have. I can certainly see Democrats saying, well, let's drag out the process and, Mm -hmm. and run out the clock. Right. Um, that's a different, uh, that's somewhat different from, again, just saying in a blanket sense that we're not even going to entertain a nomination. Um, no, I I could not see the Democrats doing that in a million years. And let, let me just point out that, yeah. that, you know, when they talk about this this mythical precedent, there's a 150-year precedent of not leaving Supreme Court vacancies open for an extended period of time. The last time that happened for 14 months, I think it was. Was leading up to the Civil War was eighteen eighteen sixty or so, um, so and I guess that was another time that was as polarized as, as we are today. Uh, this is not this is not standard operating procedure, and when they talk about the Thurgood Rule, the so-called Thurgood Rule, um, it, the. Third grade Rule, which is not a rule itself.
2: It's actually the Thurmond Rule, named Thurman after rule. Senator right. Strom Thurmond, who right. who it, came it, up with the crazy idea that was never really a rule. <laughs>
3: it was never a rule, but it also pertains to the final months of an election year. You know, we're it's February. We're very very long way away from. Um, from that being even relevant to the conversation.
1: And, you know, I would add that uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, his controversial nomination took uh, 99 days. I went back and looked it up. 99 days, so a little bit over three months. uh, We could actually, you know, this U.S. Senate could nominate three different Clarence Thomases uh, uh, between now and the time the next president is sworn in and still have plenty of time to do it, to have something that controversial. i got to get to a break, but before I do, uh, Heather, one quick thought here. Is there—what what is your thought on—do uh, you have any doubt in the same situation if uh, Bush and Cheney were faced with a Senate majority of Democrats that they would, I think— uh make the case for a recess appointment, maybe even immediately over this presidential day uh, uh, recess that we have uh, over the next week, and claim that it was imperative to the nation or to national security to ensure the continuity of the court, etc. Could you see Bush Cheney doing something like that?
2: I could. I yep. could. Again, it goes back to the to what Joshua just said about, you know, they have... The Democrats just haven't come along that far yet to exploding all the, the norms. And can I just make one final point about yeah. Scalia himself? Sure. He, you know, did, I think people, <laughs> he has met a long record and a big le- legacy in jurisprudence and conservative, in the conservative legal movement. He was, you know, this guy who sort of is the avatar of originalism and all that. But he did something else. He did, his, his decision in Bush versus Gore mm-hmm. uh, is the most partisan, probably the most nakedly partisan decision in, in Supreme Court history, his uh, rationale for it was completely fatuous, uh, it, beyond all. You know, like he was the one who said there'd be a cloud over the legitimacy of Bush's mm-hmm. presidency if, if, if the count were called into question. I right. mean, it's just so nonsensical, it makes my head explode. And he's a very smart guy. He knew what he was saying was ridiculous. But when he did that, he sent a message far and wide to Republicans everywhere, when by any means necessary, that, that the court, and he in particular, did not, did not uh, observe the norms and the, the uh, concern for the integrity of his institution. I think it said to everyone that, you know, all bets are off. So go ahead. So he laid the groundwork for what's happening right now in his own replacement. And
1: and for those calling him an originalist, a constitutional conservative, uh, I think he was anything but. I think he he was a a huge hypocrite on that score. But we're going to have to save that for another day because I suspect we'll be talking a lot more about Scalia in the days ahead. Let me take a quick break and come back with my guests uh, and we'll get more into the GOP debate itself uh, because it too was amazing. I promise you. If you missed it, you will try to get to as many clips as we can here with my guests, Heather Digby Parton and Joshua Holland, uh, journalists both. A quick break, and we are back with much more broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time only contribution. If I were
0: president now, I would certainly want to try and nominate a justice. I I think he's going to do it, whether I'm okay with it or not. I think it's up to Mitch McConnell and everybody else to stop it. It's called delay, delay, delay. And I would like the president to just, for once here, put the country first. I really wish the president would think about not nominating somebody.
3: We should not uh, allow a judge to be appointed during his time.
4: I do not believe the president should appoint someone. The next president needs to appoint someone with a proven conservative record.
5: The Senate needs to stand strong and say, we're not going to give up the U.S. Supreme Court for a generation by allowing Barack Obama to make one more liberal appointee. It underscores the stakes of this election. I feel the earth
4: move under. My-
1: It is moving under their feet. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Uh, Bradblog.com. What was supposed to be our post-debate coverage today is also now our uh, post-death of Antonin Scalia coverage as well. My guests are Heather Digby-Parton and Joshua Holland. Uh, we, of course, uh, will be speaking a lot more about uh, Scalia in the day's months, maybe even years ahead, depending on how things work out. But I want to try to get to the debate uh, because it was amazing in advance of the uh, South Carolina primary on Saturday. Uh, let's go right to this uh, this. Uh, confrontation between the, the first of what would become many confrontations. Uh, this one between uh, uh, Jeb Bush and Donald Trump, which led to audience boos. Uh, and, well, give, give it a listen here.
4: Governor Bush, yeah. you said defeating ISIS requires defeating Assad. But wouldn't that also put us into conflict with Russia. To allow Russia now to have influence in Syria makes it harder. Donald Trump brought up the fact that he would, he would want to accommodate Russia. Yeah. It is absolutely ludicrous to suggest that Russia could be a positive partner in this. Mr. Trump, you were, you were mentioned here.
0: You did say you could get along very well with Vladimir Putin. Let me just tell you this. Jeb is so wrong. Jeb is absolutely so uh, That's just so you understand. You know what that is? That's Jeb's special interest okay, in lobbyists oh, talking. Look, let me just tell you something. Jeb Jeb is so wrong. You got to fight ISIS first. You have to knock him out, you have to knock them off strong. You decide what to do after. You can't fight two wars at one time. If you listen to him and you listen to some of the folks that I've been listening to, that's why we've been in the Middle East for 15 years and we haven't won anything. We've spent $5 trillion in the Middle East because of thinking like that. We've spent five... And Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham, who backs him, who had zero on his polls. Let me just tell you something. We've spent, we've spent, we've spent. I only tell the truth, lobbyists. You listen to that. You're right, going to be Mr. there for another 15. All, All right. Governor World Bush, War
1: and that was only the beginning. Joshua Holland is, is you heard it mention a Lindsey Graham there. U.S. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham before the primary. Uh, is it a good idea for Trump to be uh, uh, punching a Lindsey Graham in the face uh, before the South Carolina primary like that?
3: You know, it was a remarkable moment. There's so much to unpack there. Not only did he punch Lindsey Graham in the face, he once again insulted the audience. He called the audience a bunch of lobbyists and Right. uh, right Jeb Bush's lobbyists. He had gotten away with that in New Hampshire. He he doubled down on it again. You know, I I was uh, I was expecting somebody to get shanked at that point. It was so brutal, (laughs) and they just kept. I mean, the the childish tone between the two of them and 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 uh, Ted Cruz got into it, and Marco Rubio as well was just breathtaking. I've never seen a debate like that, and I debated it in college where you know, where there were impetuous kids on the stage, Right. Uh, it, it, it is incredible. But if you understand it as a exercise in dominance, I mm-hmm. think that it makes a certain amount of sense. Donald Trump spoke by far the longest. He had, I think, six more minutes than the, next, um, than the next candidate. And his whole shtick has just been, you know, showing that he is the alpha dog. And if you understand it in that sense, he doesn't care about the booing of the audience he cares about you know the 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 kind of drudge reader who would um who 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 loves that who loves that display of raw dominance and you know he also opened up and this was the other extraordinary thing he opened up a whole conversation about george w bush mm-hmm. and 911 um, and he didn't just say it was a mistake to go in, which is kind of something that a lot of Republicans have acknowledged over the years. You know, he, he said that it was on his watch that the trade centers came down. It was, um, let me, let me um, play some of that. that as well. Just well, remarkable well, stuff. And, it, and uh, that would have been, I think, taboo in Republican debates until the emergence of Donald Trump, who says whatever he wants and seems to get away with it.
1: And and let me let me play some of that. That's what I had uh, queued up, ready to go next. And then, uh, Heather, I'll get your thoughts on all of this. Uh, a, a few clips here. Uh, this is, uh, well, they were asking, I think, whether Donald Trump th- still thinks that uh, George W. Bush should have been impeached for Iraq.
4: you said tonight, and you've often said, the Iraq War, and your opposition to it, was a sign of your good judgment. Do you still believe President Bush should, be impe- should have well, been impeached? First of all, I
0: have to say, as a businessman, I get along with everybody. I have business all over the world. Obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake, all right? Obviously, it was a mistake. So- George Bush made a mistake. We so, can make mistakes, but that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized right. the Middle East. But so you so so I mean, hey. so you still think he should be impeached? I think it's my turn, isn't it? You do whatever you want. You call it whatever you want. I want to tell you, they lied. Okay. They said there were weapons of mass destruction. There were none, and they knew there were none. There were no weapons of mass destruction. Okay, all right.
1: And, and this went on. Here is uh, clip number six. Uh, I'll play a few more of these, uh, Heather, and I'll open the floor to you because I just want to get this out because I'm amazed that this happened at a Republican debate at all. Here, here's more along the uh, along the same lines, first from uh, Marco Rubio and then more Trump. Uh, go ahead, Des. I just want to say, at least on behalf of me and my family, I thank God all the time that it was George W. Bush in the White House on 9-11 and not Al Gore. I think you can look back in hindsight and say a couple things, but he kept us safe. And not only did he keep us safe, but no matter what you want to say about weapons of mass
0: destruction, Saddam Hussein was in violation of U.N. resolutions. And again, he kept us safe, and I am forever grateful to what he did for this. How did he keep us safe when the World Trade Center came down? The world, excuse me, I lost hundreds of friends. The World Trade Center came down during the rain he kept us safe. That's not safe. That is right. not safe, Mark. All right. Uh, that is not safe. The, the World Trade, Trade Center, Center came Center. down because yeah. Bill Clinton didn't kill Osama bin Laden when he had the chance to kill him. And George Bush. Had the chance to kill him. By the way, George Bush had the chance also, and he didn't listen to the advice of his CIA. Oh man.
1: Okay, Heather. Uh all queued up for you. Take it away. Oh my
2: god. Well, yeah. I mean, let me just say a couple of things. The first is is that you know what Joshua said earlier about um the the audience and this booing and the 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 way that the way that Trump um was sort of the, the alpha dog and his mm-hmm. dominance thing. Trump really did do WrestleMania in his life, and I think that that is how he perceives this. And he also very, I think, adroitly understands that these audiences, as much as he says, are, you know, they're filled with lobbyists. They're not filled with lobbyists. They're filled with partisans for each of these candidates. And they go in there. In fact, there was a report today, I think it was on Huffington Post, about how the tickets were given out to that that debate. Mm -hmm. And they are encouraged to scream and yell and boo and do all that, just like at the wrestling match, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. this is that you people boo the bad guy, Mm -hmm. i.e. Donald Trump, but they're really cheering for him, right? I mean, this is a game, and I mean, this Mm -hmm. is all a very phonied up game. I think that's how he approaches it, and I think it's actually kind of interesting and clever, because I don't think we've reduced our presidential um, campaigns to that low level before, where it's actually just completely phony. And I'm not sure the other candidates understand that these are the new rules. I I don't get the sense that they get it. Um, On the substance, Mm -hmm. I think Trump is making an interesting... uh, I think he has an insight into the electorate that maybe people are overlooking. It seems impossible to believe. that. Forget all the booing and all that, because like I just said, that's all... Uh, you know, those are all partisans in the audience, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much they actually reflect how Republicans think. Certainly some of them do. They still love Bush or still look back on that with some kind of, as some, the glory days or whatever. But keep in mind that Bush left office, you know, in disgrace, and he was not very popular, although his popularity has risen as ex-presidents generally do over time. Um, But nonetheless, that Iraq war, you know, uh, decision, and 9-11, and the whole, you know, the economic meltdown, everything Trump is saying, I mean, we take it as an article of faith on the left, but I don't think it's it's uh, necessarily wrong of Trump to make an assumption that there's a group of people out there in the middle, non-voters, mm-hmm. other, you know, non-conservative movement or party stalwarts, who also see that? And the way he's gauging that is Jeb Bush's popularity, which is nowhere. Right. And the fact that he ran away from his own last name, that he was had a very de- it's only now that he's bringing in his brother on this and he stumbles every time he's asked about it. In fact, Marco Rubio having to come in and rescue him there with the with his big defense of of Bush was to me very telling. And what you didn't capture in your clip was right after that <laughs> poor Jeb Mm -hmm. comes back and says, well, I guess I won't be inviting you to the rally with my brother this week, you know, (laughs) like like some kind of a, you know, a school marm. It was unbelievable. And whereas Rubio came in and Rubio and Bush don't like each other. So the fact that Rubio came in and kind of rescued him there is very telling. uh I think Trump understands something there, potentially, Mm -hmm. that I don't think people are accounting for, which is that, you know, this Iraq war and Bush and all that, even within the Republican Party, I think that he sees that he's got that what he's saying rings true. Well,
1: yeah. And and I think there is. Well, let me let me put it to uh, Joshua Holland here. Uh, And of course, I'm happy that we are finally it it was kind of amazing. What occurred to me as I was watching is that we're finally having a debate about 9-11 and the Iraq war within the Republican Party. 15 years later. So it's great that we're having this debate now, I guess. Uh, At least we're having it, maybe. I don't know. Josh Marshall noted over the weekend about those exchanges uh, uh, during that South Carolina debate. He said the majority of Republicans get that invading Iraq was an epic error. Trump's just the only one up there willing to say it. He said, "But when you go down to blaming George W. Bush for 9/11 and saying we were lied into the Iraq War, now you're coming up against things that most Republican partisans have invested a huge amount in not believing." So, Josh, uh, does this end up hurting or helping Donald Trump in South Carolina, where, incredibly, W is still somehow popular? And uh, conversely, as as Heather notes. Does this end up helping Donald Trump in the general election if he wins the nomination? Because there's a lot of people in the let's let's call it the middle, who really do obviously you know agree with the stuff that uh, Donald Trump was saying about you know Bush uh, 9/11 was Bush's fault and we it was, the Iraq War was a mistake and and so forth.
3: He's certainly rolling the dice in South Carolina, which is not only a state where Bush uh, George W. Bush retains a lot of popularity, but also is a with a lot of military personnel. But, um, you know, he also started the debate with a 20-point lead, so is it enough to shake up that seemingly uh, over uh, impossible-to-overcome lead? I doubt it. I also think that, you know, Heather is right that there are certainly lots of swing voters and people who aren't invested in the conservative movement who believe exactly what what Trump was saying. But I also think that there's a rising sense on the hard right that um, Iraq was a mistake, or that in general we are too adventuresome in in our foreign wars. And I I think that he's speaking to something that will certainly resonate. And I think that it will, if he makes it to the general election, I think Mm -hmm. that that's going to certainly help him, along with his other unorthodox views, right? I mean, he is uh, this, this demagogue on immigration, but when you hear him talking about trade, mm-hmm. he sounds, you know, like a Sherrod Brown. So <laughs> it, it's a classic right populist approach. It really is. He, his, his whole shtick is classic right populism, whereas the left view of populism is that, you know, the game is being rigged by mm-hmm. powerful forces at the top, right populism combines that view with the idea that we're being uh assailed by predators from below so we're being squeezed. we're being squeezed in the middle the the yeoman middle class is getting it from above and mm-hmm. below at the same time and that's um that's Trump's shtick to a T.
1: And he's playing it well. Here, Here's uh, Donald Trump on Social Security. And again, something that could have an appeal to people who are independents or might otherwise be in the middle In the middle, if Trump is able to get that nomination and uh, you know, could pose a serious threat to Democrats with this stuff.
0: I'm going to save Social Security. I'm going to bring jobs back from China. I'm going to bring jobs back from Mexico and from Japan, where they're all, every country throughout the world. We have to make our economy grow again we're dying this country is dying and our workers are losing their jobs and you're going to lose so. Of- i'm the only one going to save social security believe me okay
2: but how would you actually do that if you that's have a tremendous waste
0: fraud and abuse that we're taking care of that we're taking care of it's tremendous we have in social security right now thousands and thousands of people that are over 106 years old now you know they don't exist they don't exist there's tremendous waste, fraud, and abuse, and we're going to get it.
1: Heather, that works quite nicely in a general election, both with Republicans who believe there's uh, great waste, fraud, and abuse in uh, in Social Security. Well, not just Republicans, uh, people in, in the middle and on the right and left who all love Social Security. Smart move by Donald Trump, isn't it?
2: Oh, you bet. And you know what? I mean, look at the Republican demographics. I mean, they <laughs> these are... A lot of older people mm-hmm. uh, vote Republican and definitely do not want their Social Security messed with. If they can, if you can combine a uh, an appeal to quote save Social Security painlessly, as he says, by getting rid of the, I mean, the absurdity of it is ridiculous. It really is one of the most efficient programs in, in, in yep. the American government. It's basically just writing checks. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, they're, they're waste, fraud, and abuse for the four people who. You know, he claims there are 106-year-old people who are allegedly getting checks. I mean, let's just face it, there's no waste, fraud, and abuse in that particular system. But he's proposing a painless way to uh, protect Social Security for all those people, while at the same time, you know, kind of focusing them on areas of life that they are very unhappy about, foreigners, uh, you know, uppity women, uh... the, the usual um, these are you know the changes in society that are bothering a lot of those people he's he's basically uh... you know telling them don't worry i mean one of the things that this right-wing populism does that's so interesting is that it really takes the focus off all this you know the the, the government debt and having to cut programs and do all that i mean it's it's a much much different appeal it's pretty much saying if we get rid of all the foreigners if we uh you know take on all the foreigners in their own countries as trump said the other night in the previous debate he said you know we're going to go after we're going to win again or i guess it was in his his uh, new hampshire acceptance speech mm-hmm. uh victory speech where he said you know we're going to take we're going to win again the old fashioned way by right. taking on china japan mexico <laughs> you know so this is this idea of this kind of outward thing where you don't have to you know think too much about the the greedy guys on wall street you don 't even really have to think about the bureaucrats in washington he 's focusing it very, very much on foreigners within and without and and so he can make all these appeals that are that people you know people do depend on these programs they do like them they don 't want them to be cut. The only reason they fell for any of that to be you know in the past was that they were sort of hooked into this anti government um, you know, line on the Republicans, mm-hmm. which clearly is wearing thin. I mean, it's one of the most interesting things about this race. Who's talking about that? Anybody talking about deficits? I haven't heard it.
1: No, you're right. That is, of course, uppity woman uh, Heather Digby Parton. Uh, <laughs> and uh, also, Joshua Holland joins us. I got to take a quick break and we will be back. And incredible as those exchanges about Iraq and 9 11 were, uh, they weren't even the worst of it. We'll get to. What I think is the worst of it after this break, uh, along with Heather and Joshua and Desi Doyen and much more. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial.
0: For a number of weeks now, Ted Cruz has just been telling lies. He lied about Ben Carson in Iowa.
5: He's lying about all sorts of things. It's a matter of principle. And I'll tell you. You are the single biggest
0: liar. You probably are worse than Jeb Bush.
5: You are the single biggest liar.
0: This guy lied. Let me just tell you. This guy lied about Ben Carson. This guy will say anything.
5: When you point to his own record, he screams liar, liar, liar. i me here. a liar. Why Donald, do you lie? Donald, why adults do not lie? Learn- That's another
0: also- lie. Yes, it is.
1: Yes, love was in the air over the Valentine's Day weekend at the uh, South Carolina Republican debate uh, in the wake of the death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Uh, I think we finally had the debate that we have been expecting for a long time uh, over the weekend, and I don't know. they got more debates coming up. This thing could get worse. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I'm here with my guest journalists, Heather Digby-Parton and Joshua Holland. Uh, Since I promised things did get worse, let me play a little bit of it and then uh, we'll have uh, Josh and and, uh, Heather ring in on this. Uh, number. uh, Let's see, this is clip number 12 concerning uh, claims that, uh, hey, uh, Ronald Reagan also uh, changed his mind about things in the past. Why is Donald Trump so bad for changing his mind? And things went straight downhill from there.
4: You're criticizing Senator Cruz for what you say is a change on immigration. He disputes that, of course. So why is your change of opinion make you like Reagan? And when he changes his opinion, it's a huge character flaw.
0: You have to have flexibility.
5: You know, flexibility is a good thing, but it shouldn't, you shouldn't be flexible on core principles. Um, I like Donald. He is an amazing entertainer. But his policies for most of his life.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate
5: it. He supports federal taxpayer funding for Planned Parenthood. That's a matter of principle. You are the single biggest
0: liar. You probably are worse than Jeb Bush. You are the single biggest liar. All right. This guy lied. Let me just tell you. This guy lied about Ben Carson when he took votes away from Ben Carson in Iowa. And he just continues. This guy will say anything. Nasty guy. Now I know why he doesn't have one endorsement from All any right. of his colleagues. All, All, right. Right. All, All right. right, John, I, Senator I get pick from the buffet there. He's a yeah. nasty guy. I'm well, next, well, I, I next will say to
5: you well. when you point to his own record, he screams liar, liar, liar. If you want to go Where did I support watch, it? Where did I support it? You want to go? Hey, Ted, watch, where did I support if you it? You want to go and watch the video. Ted. Out now, of Donald's about own mouth. When we Where were did batt- I support it? You supported it when we were battling over defunding Planned Parenthood. You went on That's television a lot and said nice. Planned Parenthood does wonderful things and we should not defund oh, it. Well, it does go- do wonderful and, things, and, and, but uh, not as it
0: relates to abortion. So t- there are wonderful things having to do with women's health.
5: You see, you and not I disagree on that. not when it comes to abortion. A, not John, when it comes no reason, to abortion.
1: Uh, Both Jeb Bush and uh, Ted Cruz seem to have finally succeeded in getting under Donald Trump's skin. And uh, things get worse. We'll play uh, one more clip in a moment. But uh, Josh Holland, uh, it seemed to me that this is the first debate where I think Trump actually uh, that they did get under his skin, that he does risk hurting himself, that he seemed like he lost control. What do you think? Am I wrong? I mean, I felt at some points he was actually coming unhinged for the first time in any of these debates.
3: Well, I think this was the first time that he took serious fire in any of these debates with the same kind of rhetorical style as he's used. I mean, in the past couple of debates, in the previous debates, he's basically batted these other guys around like a cat with a toy. I mean, this time they realized that they could not uh, avoid... Duping to his level if you if you want to put it that way uh, you know you, you saw them interrupting him you saw them calling him a liar it, it was the it was the first time that they've really stood up for themselves, less so Cruz I mean Cruz has has fired some shots and held his own, but you could see it from Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush yeah. that they were they came in ready to fight um i I don't think it hurts him I mean I don't think it hurts him with his his base of support. He's been at about 40 percent, 35, 40 percent for a significant amount of time. He has very high unfavorable ratings among Republicans as well as among the electorate as a whole. I think that the people who see him as a clownish buffoon will view this exchange as confirmation of that view. And those who see him as a straight talking tough guy who can take on the establishment and root out corruption and make America great because it's on his hat, we'll um, will we'll keep, keep he, believing that that's the case.
1: He also, I should note, it was not only uh, Trump that was yelling liar, liar, liar. Marco Rubio was doing the same thing at Ted Cruz. Jeb- the whole
3: thing just evolved into this. You know, schoolyard fight. It, it was it was, it was amazing. amazing. Let
1: me let me play this one more clip and then I'll uh, get Heather uh, your final thoughts on, on all of this. Uh, clip number 13, Desi.
5: The reason principal matters sadly was illustrated by the first questions today. The next president is going to appoint one, two, three, four Supreme Court justices. None. If Donald None. Trump is president, he will appoint liberals. If okay. Okay. Donald is Trump is it's president, me. your okay. Second me. Amendment let will let go me away. You. Hold on, you know how I know you. That? Hold you, on, gentlemen. Kendrick I'm going to turn this far around. John
0: Roberts. Ted Cruz with your brother wanted John Roberts to be in the United States Supreme Court. They both pushed him. He twice approved Obamacare. All right, gentlemen. Going. We're gonna, <laughs> gentlemen, we're in we're in danger of driving this into the dirt.
4: Senator Cruz 30. 30 seconds on this
5: one. I did not nominate John Roberts. I would not have nominated You John pushed Roberts. him. You pushed, I, him. I you, him, him you pushed him. I supported him. You worked with him, and you pushed him. Why Donald, do you lie? Donald, why Donald, Donald why do you adults lie? learn not to interrupt you why, why, why do you lie? Donald, learned. You pushed him. Donald, adults learn not to interrupt you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You're an adult. All right. <laughs> oh,
1: man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just It's Oh, man. OK, oh, okay. Uh, Heather. Uh, so you you and I, uh, the very first day that tr- tr- Trump, uh, you know, announced he was running, everyone was else was saying it's crazy. It's never going to happen. He's going to drop out. You and I came on this show and said, boom, we think he's serious and we think he's going to do very well. Has anything changed your opinion from that moment up until uh, watching the debate last night uh, <laughs> in any way?
2: Well, yeah, I'm more convinced than ever. <laughs> I think he, you know, I think I think Trump is a very interesting character. He's, I think he's got an instinct here that it, you know is perfect for this moment, and he is able to, through a number of very, uh, you know. Uh, some circumstances that have allowed him to sort of take advantage of this moment with this very large field, with the fact that the field itself has been you know, pretty lame all the way along. Now he's getting into a place where the the schedule and the way that these delegates are apportioned, it's very, very complicated and weird. In fact, if anybody wants to look, they should go to Sam Wong's uh, Princeton Election Consortium mm-hmm. uh, site, which talks about this. It's, it's Just amazing what the Republicans did to themselves. But what it essentially ends up being is that it's very likely that by March fifteenth, Donald Trump can have this thing uh, pretty much wound up, Um, and that is just because of the way the delegates are apportioned in this very bizarre formula and this fact that there's this big field and they've not been able to winnow it properly. So, you know, I I look at this and sure, you know, yeah, I think he could win it, and I think he's got an uh, uh, an argument. That uh, is very, very uh, salient at the moment to an awful lot of people, and I worry tremendously that somehow or another that he's going to make it to the nomination, and I don't know if the Democrats are going to be any better at dealing with him than the Republicans are that's what's got me uh, kind of Waking up at three in the morning, screaming uh, at the moment.
1: Yeah, and and I understand, and that's why we've been saying, "Hey, Democrats, be careful what you wish for when you're supporting uh, yeah. Donald Trump." Uh, Josh, very very quickly, I'm almost out of time, but uh, uh, of course the the noisy people get uh, you know all the all the coverage here. But uh, John um, uh, Kasich, uh, I think once again came out as the sensible person. I've been uh, pointing folks to him for a while, and in fact, he did end up coming in uh, second in uh New Hampshire uh is, is does he have a chance in South Carolina does Jeb have a chance who had a much better debate than he's had in in, in the past is there still room for a non Trump cruise alternative or is it just too late for that Josh
3: Well it's too late for them to have to coalesce around one and and kind of head off the disaster that they've seen I think that Kasich uh I feel like I have as good a chance of securing the republican really? nomination as he does wow. not only did he expand medicaid but it's it's how he explained it right he he has defended that decision in in religious terms and biblical terms saying that it's the christian thing to do uh I think it's the kind of uh, apostasy that that just is unforgivable within the republican uh, coalition the wow. rep- with the Republican base these days, and I don't, I don't think he has a, a chance at all. You know, New Hampshire is a very different electorate than when you get into the southern states, and I think he'll be done after the so-called SEC um, the SEC primaries on, on Super Tuesday.
1: Wow. Okay, you might be right. We'll find out. Let me note, however, that uh, whatever happens in South Carolina this Saturday, it will be a 100% unverifiable result. The entire state uses 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that uh, Bradblog.com uh, and Bradcast listeners will remember back in 2010, those systems resulted in a guy that nobody had ever heard of, a guy by the name of Alvin Green, who had no job, did no campaigning, was running—nobody had even known he was running. He was running up against a a guy who had served in the Senate for a long time. He had been a judge. Alvin Green became the winner of the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate in South Carolina on those 100 percent unverifiable uh, voting machines that they have not changed Since then, since they were used to elect Alvin Green uh, to give him the nomination, so I would add anything, anything can happen in South Carolina this Saturday, and if it does... Nobody will be able to challenge it. I want to uh, say thanks to my guests. Uh, You guys are great as ever. Heather Digby Parton from Salon and digbysblog.blogspot.com. Heather, always great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, of course, to Joshua Holland of The Nation at thenation.com. And, of course, his own weekly podcast, Politics and Reality Radio. Look it up and download it from iTunes anytime. Great uh, having both of you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Brad. Thank you. You bet. My thanks also to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and, of course, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with me. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. It's all free and drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com I'm also on the Twitters at TheBradBlog Alright, that's it. We'll be back with you tomorrow Until then, I'm Brad Friedman Good luck, world Everybody.